Amen and amen and amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We believe for it. You fill in the blank with whatever your it is. He's able and he's more than enough. And he's not going to run out before he gets to you. Amen. Amen. I want you to take your copy of the scripture this morning and open it to the New Testament, the book or the letter to the Second Corinthians called Second Corinthians, and we'll go to chapter 1. As we mentioned last week, there were probably four letters to the Corinthian church that the Apostle Paul wrote. Two have been lost to history. Two have been kept. Two have been protected over these years, and the Lord knew exactly what we were going to need on this first Sunday in May 2021. Do I have a witness now? No. So all of these centuries, all of these centuries, this passage has been protected for us to hear, for us to know this morning. I want to start reading in verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Now where we're headed this morning is, are you ready to quit? Are you ready to quit? Or is it in your heart to keep pressing on, to keep moving on? Now, the good news is that even when we find ourselves in a place of being ready to quit, the Lord who called us isn't ready for us to quit. And He knows we're going to do what we want to do, not just what we ought to do, but what we want to do in our hearts. And He has the ability to refresh, to strengthen, to renew our want to, so that we will continue in the course that he's set for us. The Apostle Paul here is going to describe in a very transparent, very, very autobiographical way the struggles that he went through and the weight of the struggles upon him and how, as we'll find, he even despaired of life is even ready, the Apostle Paul, to give up, to quit. And yet somehow in the middle of those circumstances, the Lord taught him something that caused him to be able to keep going. So I'm praying this morning that, that this will, these truths, this, this, this writing from Paul will find a home in our hearts, especially if you're at the place of being ready to quit, or maybe you've already quit, but there can be a hope, there can be a word to just cause us all over again to find a fresh place to start, to start again. So listen to these words. This is, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. God of all comfort, all kinds of comfort, all ways of comfort, all types of comfort, all seasons of comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, our sufferings, our hard places, 
the places of persecution, the places of rejection, the places of deep need, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul's saying, the reason the Lord comforts me is because some of you are going to need comforting. And I'm able to express to you, demonstrate to you, the kind of comfort that God gives because he's deposited it in me. He's done it in me. That's a word for us, folks, that the Lord doesn't bring comfort our way just so we can can it and put on a shelf and put a marker on it. Well, God comforted me once upon a time back yonder. He did something kind to me. It's not about being put on a shelf. It's about knowing that if the Lord has comforted you, there is a stewardship that goes along with that comfort and that he's going to put you in a place and surround you at some point by folks, a person, or maybe many who need to be comforted, who need to know that the Lord hasn't left. The Lord is not, the Lord hasn't, hasn't forgotten how to love people. The Lord hasn't forgotten how to comfort as he comforted me in my place, in my spot, in my valley, so he's able to do it for you. Amen? That's important for us to know. There is a stewardship that goes along with our being comforted because he's wanting us, he's he's empowering us, he's imparting something to us to give away. Amen. Then he says in verse 5, But just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Skip down to verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who so delivered us, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. Let me offer another translation for that verse, that specific part of verse number 8. We wanted you to know how we were utterly weighed down beyond our strength so that, our, so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt within ourselves that we had received the sentence of death and were convinced that we would die. But this happened so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now, can I back that up and ask the question, who was putting those thoughts in Paul's mind and in the minds of those who were around him. Now, this is, 
This is, this is Paul the apostle. This is, this is the writer in a human sense of two-thirds of that New Testament that's lying in your lap. This is not a baby believer. This is a seasoned warrior of the cross. This is someone who had seen Jesus face-to-face on the Damascus Road. This is someone who had received a specific commission that he would be the apostle to the Gentiles. He he was one schooled in the scriptures. He he was one devoted and dedicated and pursuing his calling with great energy and great determination. And yet Paul says, there came a time in my life where the circumstances around me were so intense, were with such a a level of velocity and duration that it caused me even to despair of life. Let me tell you who a lightweight Christian is. Lightweight. It's someone who when they hear a statement like this, it's someone who's been following Jesus and has gone through and is going through struggle and and overwhelming odds and obstacles, that the lightweight Christian will say, well, I don't understand that. Just just claim your promise. Just rebuke that demon. Just just get up and go on. Quit, Quit having a pity party. Well, of that group that you're talking to, if that's your attitude, the Apostle Paul would be number one on the list. It just means that you've never been through anything that dark. It just means that you've never really had an experience in your life where your strength has been sapped totally, not partially, totally, where it could seem as if the better option would just be to go on to heaven and not keep living down here. But here's what I want to say to you. Two points of good news. If the Apostle Paul went through something like that, you are not a backslidden, fallen, runaway from God child of his if you have those same kinds of emotions as well. And then the second thing that I would say to you is, I don't know that there's ever been anybody who's really been worth his or her salt for the kingdom who has not at some point in time felt like down to the depth of who they are, I can't keep doing this. I don't don't know how I can keep going. Here's another part of the good news. Because Paul admitted that, he wasn't disqualified from being the apostle to the Gentiles. Because he was honest about it, the Lord didn't pick somebody else to step into his role. Paul would say, I had, there was a purpose of God in allowing me and us to go through what we went through. And it's there in that, when, when he says, it was so that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but we would trust in the God who raises the dead. Paul would say in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He's saying there's some part of of God 
that I'm not going to get just by reading the scriptures and just by being around Christian people where everything's going fine. There's a part of knowing God that has to do with being him in a place of impossibility, in a place of hopelessness, in a place even of what seems to be certain and inevitable death. And yet to experience in that place, he has the power even to raise the dead. He has the power to reverse the circumstances. He has the power to overturn the prognostications of folks who think they know what's going on. I want to give you, and I want to try to be careful to do this. I want to offer for you four Four aspects of, over, of, a, of overcoming a heart that wants to quit. Four aspects from this passage and one related passage that give us insight, that give us keys, that give us direction for overcoming a heart that wants to quit or overcoming the results and the effects of a heart that has quit. First one is this, thoroughly admit how deep the struggle has been. Thoroughly admit how deep the struggle has been. Now, for some of you, this is, this is stepping back some years in your life into some other setting, some other situation. But here's, here's the problem with that with that false statement, time heals all wounds. Time doesn't heal all wounds. What happens is the wounds get put in a basket that's attached to a handle that's attached to a belt around your waist. And we walk through the rest of our lives with what was deposited in that basket of hurt, abandonment. You're a loser. You're a waste. You're never going to make it. You're never going to. That was deposited way back there. And so we carry it on into the future. We carry it into marriages. We carry it into opportunities professionally. And those things that have been deposited that were, that were excessive burdens put upon us in various ways, various types, can cause there to be carried from then into now and beyond if it's not somehow dumped, if, if that's not unloaded, bringing us to a place where I, I can't keep living here and a place of wanting to give up. But here's what happens. When we bring those things that have been in those spots that have wounded us, that have hurt us, and we take seriously the word of Jesus where he says in one of his early Beatitudes in Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The reason we want to give up is that somehow we're not feeling the comfort of the Lord. Somehow we're feeling like we're an orphan. Somehow we're feeling like we're all by ourselves. Somehow we're feeling like we have no recourse. We have no place else to reach. We feel abandoned. We feel alone. He says here, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There, there, is, there is a measure of the love of God being expressed to you and to me that comes down the corridor, a specific corridor. It flows down the corridor of mourning, of grieving, the places where we have been hurt, where we have been wounded. 
I, I want to encourage you not, not to just assume time heals all wounds. That was 15 years ago, 30 years ago. That was whenever it was because the reality is it's still real. It still can shut you down. It still can accumulate and come back, old thoughts, old tapes being played to where you want to quit or you go back to the place where you have quit, where you have quit, where you have quit. And the Lord today is saying, I want to bring you out from that place of quitting. I want you to be raised from the dead in that place in your life. Embrace, own, thoroughly admit how deep how deep the struggle was. It was burdened excessively. Strength was sapped. And I end up believing, I'm going to die here. This is all there is to me. There's nothing beyond this. Paul, as an example to us, you know, why do you think, why would he tell us those things? Why would he admit and he, and he write in 1 Corinthians, the, the first letter, I came to you in much weakness and trembling and fear. Why would he do that? Because he, the true servant of the Lord wants the other servants of the Lord, the sheep of the Lord, to be fed, to be encouraged, to know that what happened with them and how God comforted and brought them through, those same kinds of circumstances can happen to all the generations of the church, and we're all going to need to know how to get past it, to not stay in that place of the effect of being burdened excessively to the point and not even despairing of life. Thoroughly admit how deep the struggle goes. Secondly, secondly, reset your trust. Reset your trust. Reset your trust in Jesus. Look at, look at the statement, verse 9, indeed we had the sentence of death within ourselves, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead. Reset your hope. As long as our hope is set on us, there, we will come to an end of that, realizing I can't do it. I don't have the power. Even those around me don't have resources strong enough in order to meet the needs that I have. Reset your hope. Where he says that we, that, uh, we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. It was the expression and it was the statement that our heart, our eyes, our thoughts, instead of being on the, thank you, Lita, that the, in, instead of our hearts, our thoughts being on the, the, the circumstances of, that are close at hand, that are immediately around us, that our, that our thoughts and our heart is going to be set on the one we can't see, but the one who has all authority, who has all power, who has all strength, and his name is Jesus. You, you look at, you go to Luke chapter 4. And, and I want you to, if you would, find that for just, for just a moment. Luke chapter 4. And this is the statement, <clears throat> this is the statement from the Gospel of Luke about the temptations of Jesus and, and how the enemy came to Jesus 
at the end of 40 days of, of, of being deprived of, of, at his own choice of food and water, and the enemy relentlessly was pursuing him to try to defeat him. The enemy understood that if there was just one kind of sin in Jesus' life, it would have disqualified him from being the Lamb of God and his blood shed for our sins. So as a result, the enemy was relentless, but the enemy, the enemy picked his time. He picked his shot. Those 40 days, there was, there was evidently bombardment, but as those days ended, the intensity was greater. And, and he, he begins, and you work down through that, and he, and he begins by saying, if, if you really are the Son of God, then turn this rock into a piece of bread so you can eat it. If you really are the Son of God, bow down before me, and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. If you really are the Son of God, go and, and jump off the pinnacle of the temple, temple into Jerusalem, and that will prove to the watching Jews that you really are the Messiah, because the Messiah is supposed to come from heaven. Satan was saying, I've got a plan. I'll show you how it'll work. If you do it my way, then you can have the things that you want. It would be a shortcut. It would be a substitute. And Jesus rejected. Jesus refused. It would say at the end of that section in verse 13, and when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Here's what I believe Paul was saying. The Lord had to get us to a place by allowing the circumstances to be so difficult, so dark, so impossible, so, so imposing that we had to come to the place of realizing there is no way out in us. Our hope is in the Lord alone. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ who endured everything Satan could throw at him. And without exception, he defeated every temptation. When Satan had tried all of his testings for that season, for that moment, he departed. He would come back later and try again, but he would fail then. Paul, I believe, is saying to us, we came to the place of realizing that even though these things are beyond our strength, they are not beyond the ability of the Lord Jesus Christ to get us through in his power, in his way, in his strength. So there had to be a resetting, a resetting of the trust. There had to be a fresh setting of their hope in Jesus. Now, if you're ready to quit, if you're ready to give up, or if maybe there was a part by time back in your life where you did give up, I believe it would be safe to say that somehow in that season we lost sight of Jesus. We lost sight of what he can do, what he's able to do, and somehow it just came to be a focus on the circumstances and what people were saying and people were doing or weren't doing that resulted in the conclusions that we have embraced about ourselves. You see, some of this is about giving up on yourself, giving up on who you are in the eyes of the Lord, thinking that you're nothing but a failure. You'll always be abandoned. You'll always be rejected. That every opportunity that will come your way, you'll always blow it. Who, who, who's saying that? 
Who's saying that to you? Who was saying this to Paul that you, you're going to die? You're, you're not going to come through here. Remember, Paul would later say, he'd write to Timothy, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Satan will speak in a language that we uniquely can understand because he knows how to speak a human language of the heart and of the emotion. And he can speak in such ways to convince us of the exact opposite of God's heart for us. So, so it wasn't the Lord. It wasn't Jesus who holds the keys of death and of hell in his right hand, Revelation 1. It wasn't Jesus speaking, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, the works that he do, uh, the, 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 he who believes in me uh, the, the, shall be raised again. I get that mixed up with that verse in John 14, 12, that we'll do the works that Jesus himself did. Those things, absolutely all true. Now may the God of hope. Here, here's, here's how the Lord speaks. Now may the God of hope, Romans 15, 13, fill you up with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of hope speaks one way. The spirit of fear speaks the other way. The spirit of fear was saying, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. The spirit of hope, for whatever reason, because of the intensity of the storm and the conflict, the spirits, the voice of the spirit of God, the God of hope, was somehow diminished in all of that. Paul would say to Timothy, you've got you to learn who's talking to you, Timothy. If you're going to finish well, finish strong, be all that the Lord has for you, you're going to have to understand who's talking to you and get a distinction between the two. The spirit of fear will leave you intimidated. The spirit of fear will leave you backing off. The spirit of fear will leave you hesitating. The spirit of fear will cause you to be paralyzed by fear, shut down by fear. But the Spirit of God speaking to you will reassure you of His love for you. The Spirit of God will remind you of His power toward you. The Spirit of God will cause your mind to be settled out. Not to be scattered all over creation, but there to be a steady, solid gate to your path. And I would say that to my brothers and sisters listening this morning. Who's talking to you that's leaving you at the place of wanting to quit. You, you, you're where the Lord puts you. You believe that he's assigned you at that spot. That's where you're trying to stand. Who is talking to you? Who is putting those thoughts in your mind to give up, quit? You're, worse, you're, 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 you're worthless. You're not going to be able to finish. Things are not, are not going to be as you would ever hope that they would be. You're a failure. You're a loser. Where is that coming from? I'm going to tell you, folks, It'll set a captive free if you're just realize, realizing that's not God talking to you. That's not God talking to you. That's not God by His Spirit saying you're a loser, you're a waste, it's over, you're a failure, you're going to go down, you're going to die, it's over. Once we realize where the talk is coming from, then we can begin to realize we've got a choice We've got a choice to listen to the lies, or we've got a choice to cry out for the truth. Lord, your truth. Lord, your truth. Lord, your truth. When you reset your hope, I believe that has to do with crying out for Jesus, crying out for Jesus. 
crying out for his presence, crying out for his filling. I love that passage. We read it often. This is in 2 Timothy where, where Paul will say, and, and at my first defense, no one supported me. 2 Timothy 4, 16. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But then he says in verse 17, but the Lord, the Lord, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. It was the Lord who made his presence known to Paul. If, if, if we're not going to give up, if we're not going to quit, in the thickest of the worst of the fights, it will be child of God because somehow, some way, there has come to your spirit a sense of the presence of the living Jesus Christ. I'm not, we don't minimize the scripture. But the Bible was never intended to be a substitute for your feeling of the presence of the Lord near you, in you, and working through you. Do you hear me? Folks, listen. If we settle down and we just say, well, I'm just going to memorize the Bible. I'm just going to memorize verses on hope. I'm just going to study all the words on peace. Good. Learn every one of them. But then listen to this. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. How? By memorizing verses on hope? By being around a whole bunch of other hope-filled people? No. But by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit of the living Jesus to cause hope, which is a feeling. A feeling. If you don't feel hope, you ain't got hope. Do I have a witness? We talk about hope all day long. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. It's a feeling. Now may the God of the emotion of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound, you may overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's crying out for Jesus, Lord, your presence, your presence, your presence. I want to encourage some of you. If you're at that place of wanting to give up, ask yourself, am I where the Lord put me? Do I believe he sent me here? If the answer is yes, then to be able to grieve Grieve whatever the sad things are. And they can be many, they can be a lot, they can be heavy, they can be deep, they can still burn. Grieve those before the Lord and then reset your hope on Jesus, on the person, realizing that when you are crying out for him, Lord, I need you, I need you here. How did Paul know that the Lord was there? Was that a mental thing? He's in a Roman jail. Was that just that he just embraced the facts? God's everywhere present. God is omnipresent. He must be here. No. I believe there was a sense in Paul's heart that he knew, he felt 
the presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ. That is not just for Paul, my brother, my sister. That is for you. That is for you. How about being in a tight place? How about being in a, in a difficult place? Paul was in prison when he wrote those words. He would be released more than likely, and then he would be rearrested, and he would be martyred for his faith. But at that moment in time, Jesus was all he had. Nobody else could be around him. They were all sent away, not allowed to come. But he said, but the Lord stood with me. I want you to crave that. I pray that you'll be so disturbed that you may never experience that, that it'll bother you day after day until you say, Lord, I, I want that. I need to know your presence. Not in my mind, but in my heart. I need to feel your measurable presence. Folks, that's the only reason that the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us, to make the presence of Jesus real. We, 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 we could have the scripture, we could have written scriptures without the work of the Spirit to make Jesus real. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, it was for the purpose of in every believer there being the felt presence of the resurrected King in their hearts. That's how they became fearless. That's how they became so bold in their declaration and so steady in their hearts of trusting and looking to the Lord. If you're ready to quit, reset your hope. Reset your hope. Cry out for Jesus to make his presence known. And then to fill you, to fill you with his spirit, to fill you with his spirit, to fill you with his spirit, to fill you with his spirit. You can't read the New Testament particularly from the book of Acts onward, without having somehow a solid grasp of the power, the necessity, the inescapable reality of the church, depending upon, on a daily basis, hourly basis, the empowering of the Spirit of Jesus inside. They didn't have any copies of the Scripture. The Bible was still being written. So if we're supposed to get all our power just from reading the Scripture, how did they make it for the first 1,500 years of the church? There were no Bibles. Old Testament, but there were no printing. But the printing press where you could do multiple copies other than handwritten copies didn't even happen until the 1500s. I'm not fussing anybody. I'm just trying to say, wait, we're missing something. We're trying to substitute the memorizing of verses for the present reality and power of the operation of the Spirit of the living Jesus inside the chests of the church. There is no substitute. So what that means is we've got all kinds of permission. We've got all kinds of examples from the, from the examples of the apostles in the early church to cry out, Lord, fill me. Acts 4, Acts 4, Peter and John, you remember that. They had been interrogated. By the Sanhedrin, they, got, they were released. They get back to their, to their brothers, the apostles. They had already been filled once on the day of Pentecost. But here we find in Acts chapter 4, two chapters later, that they're needing to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus again. And in that case, there was no mention of tongues. It says they were filled with the Spirit, and they went out to speak the Word of God with boldness. Now, don't, don't, I just... You know, I speak to 
an evangelical core in the country. I, 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 didn't, I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal background. I, I, didn't, I didn't come to know Jesus in that. I, I was raised in the, in, in the evangelical uh, stream in, in America. And as a result, we made much of the Scripture, the printed Scripture. We made much of behavior. You need to live right or you're going to pay the price. But what we didn't hear much about was the empowering to want to do what's right. Not to, not to beat you up if you don't do what's right, but it's how in the world do I have my want to change so that I want to please the Lord. Not just you better, you should, you're going to look better if you don't make it, you're going to... Lord, is there a way to set my spirit free, my heart free to worship you? Is there a way for my heart to be captured by your heart so that you are alive in me and it is your strength carrying me on? That is a function of the Holy Spirit of the living Jesus alive in his people. It, it's not an exception to the rule. It is the rule. If we've come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have permission we are called. It's Christ in you, your hope of glory, Christ alive. You then, that prayer in Ephesians 3, that we'd be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, meaning it is the desire of God, it is the desire of the Lord Jesus, the desire of the spirit, that you and I would know the presence of Jesus alive at home in our hearts. He's not off out there living somewhere on the other side of the galaxy. He's alive in my heart, and I feel him, just like you would know if somebody's walking through the halls and the doors and the rooms of your house. That's the word, that Jesus would be at home in your heart by the power of the Spirit strengthening you so that there is such an atmosphere in your home, that Christ, the home of your heart, that Christ feels that home. I'm saying all of that to say, we give up, we run short on hope when we're trying to drum it up all in ourselves. But what if the secret to not giving up, of not quitting, is instead of trying to dredge it up from our strength, we begin to tap into the strength of Jesus alive in us. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. The disciples, Peter and John, intimidated, interrogated, beaten back, and same faces that, that worked with the Roman military to have Jesus put to death. It was the same. You heard me say this again and again. It was the same faces that Peter and John looked at and were told, you shut up. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Stop speaking in this name anymore, to which Peter, no longer the coward, but alive with the spirit of the lion of the tribe of Judah, looked back into their faces and said, we can't stop speaking what we've seen and heard. You don't have the power to shut up and to diminish the power that goes off in our hearts. Our loyalty to him, our fascination with him, our declaration of the truth that is in him, we can't stop speaking of Jesus. Pray for that. Ask the Lord for that. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. How long do you pray? Till he, till he answers it. 
till there comes to be a sense that there's somebody else alive in you, not scowling, not waiting to hit you on the backside with a belt, but someone whose eyes are gleaming with delight as he looks at you. Someone whose, whose eyes may be coursed with, with, a, with a tear of joy of what you're going to become by his power working in you, being confident of this very thing. Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you, Paul said, will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. What the Lord started in you, the Lord will finish. The Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. The Lord will. So that, that's why this reset is so vital. It's so important. I can't finish something I didn't even start. It has to be the Lord finishing in me what he started when he saved me. And he says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who, present active, are asking him, are asking him, Lord, I need your spirit. I need your spirit. I need your spirit. You say, well, I, I, again, here's, here's, the, here's the line from the, that I grew up with. Well, you get everything. You get all the Holy Spirit. You get everything the time you get saved. Well, then how come Christians, by the gazillions, I know what this is like can have a lot of truth, but no power. Intimidated, buckling to temptation, the divorce rate inside the church, the same as it is outside the church. What are we missing? We're missing the truth of the empowering of the Spirit, by the Spirit, in the heart of the believer. It is the power of Jesus not just the salvation of Jesus rescuing us from our sins, but it's the power of Jesus enabling us to live for him. It's power, but you shall receive power, but you shall receive power, but you shall receive. Have you received power? But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's where I'm, I just keep coming back to this. We want to check out, quit, give up, believe all the lies of the devil about who we are and what we'll never become. As long as we are shying away from this, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I don't have the power to finish what you started in me. But I'm asking you, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your heart. And I'm telling you, folks, he wants to do it. 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 So is there a desire to have certain habits broken off of your life? Is there a desire for there to be certain relationships maybe that have been poisoning and trapping you and taking you in the, direction, oh, the wrong direction for that to be lifted from your heart somehow? You keep doing the same thing and it'll never change. So what's the difference? Jesus, if you don't want me in that, and I don't think you do, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit so that I began to despise the things that you despise. That you give me the taste for the things that you delight in and give to me the ability to reject the things that you don't because you just changed my want to. 
I wonder how many of you could raise your hand and say, I'm doing without some, th some stuff. I'm living separate from some stuff now that I used to never think I could live without. Anybody raise your hand and say that? Look, look at those hands going up. He has the Why? Because he changed your want to. He changed your want to. He changed your want to. That is a function of his spirit at work in your heart, conforming you into the image of Jesus. You didn't do it. He's doing it. All we do is just surrender and say, yes, Lord, carry on. Amen. That's our hope. Okay. Now, here's the last one. The first one is thoroughly admit how deep the struggle goes. Do not assume that time has gotten you past it. There could have been some things, and very likely were some things, deposited in your belief structure then and seemingly confirmed by the events surrounding that if you think about it and ask the Lord to show you, it has affected your outlook toward the present, the future, and how you see yourself. What if the Lord would be saying, you go back there, you grieve that, you give that to me, you mourn that, and in that very place, in that very place of wanting to quit, you begin to, you, just, you, you, you do that work of resetting your trust. You may not have even known how to do that or that was important back then, but now you do. You set your trust on me. I can cause all things to be new. Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things passed away and new things have come. Even in the place of defeat. Even in the place where you need the reset. The third one, from Paul's words. You ask others, you ask other warriors to pray for you. You ask other true followers of Jesus to pray for you. Now that in itself can take a place of humility. But the Lord says in James 4, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let me show you how important this is. Some of you may never have mourned, and some of you may never have asked people to pray for you, followers of Jesus to pray for. And so you're still at that place of dealing with, I want to quit. Watch this. This is, this is where, Paul, where Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 11, you also, now watch these words, you also joining in helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. Somehow, the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, heard about some of what Paul was going through. They didn't get the full detail because he would deliver that as he gets there, but they knew something was going on. And the word was sent out by Paul, pray for us, pray for us, pray. Look, look what Paul says. The, the result that has been achieved has been brought about by your joining in helping us through your prayers. That thanks may be given by many persons 
on our behalf for the answer to prayer. Two things about that. One is, Paul attributed at least some measure of their rescue and their deliverance to the cooperating prayers of other brothers and sisters in Jesus who were outside the context, away from the circumstance, but they had heard about it, they were knit in spirit, and they were praying. But the other part is, and this is awesome, Paul is basically saying, you know, because you were praying for us when the Lord delivered us and he answered our prayer for deliverance, he was also answering your prayers for our deliverance. So you get to rejoice too. We rejoice. You rejoice. The praise is exponentially manifested up into the presence of God because you prayed with us. We're both rejoicing. Sometimes pride will say, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell them. Well, do you want to be free? Do you want to live in the place of giving up? Or do you want to step into that place of hope being renewed and deliverance coming and a fresh feeling happening in your life? Ask warriors to pray. I'm not talking about these folks that, you know, come by a little, little trite, little, 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 you know, little, little Christians and kind of surface talk. Yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray. And you know they won't even think about it again. But it's the ones that when you look into their eyes, you see another set of eyes looking back at you. And you feel like it's the heart of Jesus looking back into your very soul. That when you are saying something to them, they're taking it in. They're receiving it. They're not listening to it. They're embracing it and wondering, as soon as you say it, they're praying, Lord, how, how do you want me to pray? You find a group of those. You find one. You find two. The Lord will bring them to you. Would you, folks here in this room as well as out in our streaming family, that's why we say, Pastor Walker at, at, at AlamoCity.org, let us know what you're praying for. Let us know what you would want us to agree with that the Lord would do, and we're asking for his will to be done because there can be, there, there's power in agreement, but there's also further rejoicing in that agreement. You get blessed, you let us know, and we're doing the happy dance all around 6,500 IH 35 because the Lord did something for you and he answered our prayer too. You see how that works? When we're asking for prayer, it's not an all selfish thing. Would you pray for me? It's not all about me. But I know that I need the Lord's help and he honors agreement, so I'm asking you to pray for me and pray with me but then I want you to be blessed when God does what he's going to do for me. Okay? That's that third part. You ask warriors to pray. And then here's the last one. You address the devil and his lies. Address the devil and his lies. Who's saying that to you? Who keeps hosing you down with defeat, shame, failure, rejection, abandonment, all of those things? Where's that coming from? It's not coming from the God of hope. It's not coming from the Jesus who has promised, I will finish what I started in you. It's coming from the enemy of your soul. It's coming from, say, it's just a thought. It's just a thought. 
Satan somehow, don't know how he does it, it's beyond, it's a mystery in the spirit realm, but he does have somehow the ability to place thoughts in the minds of believers. Various ways, various things. He knows what kind of thoughts have ruined a family line for generations, and he'll keep speaking that to the next generation. He, he, he knows, he knows how to influence our thinking. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, and he is the father of lies. We can get it mixed up. We can get so climatized to this sense that I'm, I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I can't ever make it, I won't ever be able to do anything, that we actually can begin to think that's God, just saying that's the truth of God, when it is not the truth of God. It is not the truth. I'm saying to somebody who needs to hear this because it's your future and it's your hope. What you have been believing, what has been pressed against your thoughts and your conclusion of who you are and what's going to happen to you, those things that are negative, those things that are hopeless, those things that are defeat, that is not God talking to you. That is the devil. That is Satan. That is darkness. That is a lie being spoken. Now, here's the deal. As long as we let the devil speak those lies to us, he'll keep doing it. As long as they work, he'll keep vomiting them on us. But the minute we realize, wait a minute, that's not my Christ. That's not my Father. That's not my Shepherd. And I renounce and I reject every syllable that has been coming at me from that direction. Let me show you, this is a related passage. We'll finish with this, but I want you to know it's in your Bible. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James 4 verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says... God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Humble yourselves. Humble yourself in the place God's put you. Humble yourself in the place of his assignment. Don't check out, stay. And then as you humble yourself before the Lord, the instruction is you resist the devil. I wish at this point I had a Marine Corps drill sergeant to come up in full uniform and stand in front of this group, and we're going to transform him out of the Marines and into a servant of the Most High God, a commander in the family of God. And I would want him to say, to give one command, one command to the army of God in the way that only a drill sergeant can do it. Here's the command. Attention. Attention. Meaning, soldiers, warriors, Stand to your feet, stand at attention, clothed in your uniform, and armed with your weapons. All right? Now, you can't be doing all this resisting the devil 
unless you have a solid sense of who you are in the spirit realm. More importantly, who Jesus is as ruler over everything and everyone. A part of your uniform. Here's your uniform. Put your uniform on. Get your uniform on, church of the living God. Part of your uniform is that you were chosen. You were chosen before you were ever born. You were adopted by his choice and doing into the family of God. You were bought and paid for with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were forgiven of all and every sin. You were called to him by his voice to your spirit. You were placed where he wants you to be, where he has assigned you to be. And you were standing, you were standing in his name. You were standing in his authority. And you are being filled with his spirit. And you are experiencing the mind of Christ. Humbled under the mighty hand of God, but standing full uniform, standing in your hand, with your hand holding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the Word of God, the ultimate expression, is the person of Jesus Christ. So you stand there chosen, you stand there adopted, you stand there forgiven, you stand there within your arm and in your hand, the name of Jesus, and you have the authority and you have the direction to say, lying spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop it. In the name of Jesus Christ, be gone from here. In the name of Jesus, I reject everything you have ever put in my brain. And I receive the mind of Christ. And I receive the fresh filling of Jesus' presence in my life. For this last week, there'd been something on my heart, a concern. I didn't know exactly what to do. That, that will happen, those of you in places of responsibility and moving parts, you, you know what that can feel like. But earlier in the week, I began to sense just very clearly, it was back here, but I sent it very clearly that... This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to be done. And in a sense, here's, here are the players involved in the situation. It, it troubled me. I didn't have any way to, 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 you know, in the empirical realm, deal with it. It was just this stuff. It was, it was, it was, it was defeat. It was, it was harm. It was, it was, it, 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 I just knew that, that that wouldn't be good if it happened. All into yesterday. Yesterday afternoon, Sadie, the prayer dog, and I went out on our walk in the neighborhood. And that's still concerning me coming into today. And I knew this was the message for today. And yet there was this thing. It were these thoughts. It suddenly dawned on me that whatever those thoughts were, were not the Lord speaking to me. And it wasn't just me thinking, and it wasn't the Lord, 
but there was something, somebody trying to influence my thoughts. Light switch turned on in my heart. On the sidewalk, dog leash in hand, yesterday afternoon, out loud, I just started saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, lying spirit, I reject every soul. I reject every syllable. I reject every syllable. I reject every syllable that's been planted in the name of Jesus. I mean, I, there, there nothing weird happened. But I can tell you that there was a lifting. There was a lifting. About five minutes passed, if that long. My phone goes off in my pocket. I pull my phone out and look at a text, and the text indicated the exact opposite of what I had been convinced was very well going to happen or could happen. It was the exact opposite. The exact opposite. Now, what I'm saying, I, mean, I, I went away from that, Lord, thank you, thank you that I didn't get that text before there was the resisting of the enemy. Now, I, I know these verses, folks. I mean, I know these verses. But the Lord has a way of pressing things in on us when we really need them. I'm saying to you, some of you are being harassed by thoughts that are not Jesus. You are being harassed by thoughts that are not even your thoughts. The result of the thoughts is intimidation. Fear, hesitation of what would come, of what the Lord may want to bring. And it can just cause you to have this negative context. What if that isn't God? What if that isn't you? What if it is a lying spirit influencing your thoughts and it will not quit until you resist it? As long as it works... As long as those thoughts are somehow a friend to us, we just accept them, why should the devil change his strategy? But I want to believe that one of the reasons for speaking this to you today is that it's the Lord's heart for that enemy, that lying spirit, to be caught, exposed, and expunged. It's not, it's, I don't know if I can do that. It's not, not a hard thing. You get your uniform on. You get, don't, don't be running up there like, well, I can just start saying, no, you, you get your uniform. He washed me. He forgave me. He chose me. He placed me. I'm praying, Lord, you'll fill me. And I'm not coming against the enemy in my name. I'm coming against the enemy in the name that is above every other name. Just a simple phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I resist you, lying spirit. I renounce and reject you. And I receive all that God wants for me. Now, there's some of you, and I pray it'll be all of you who hear this and all of you who have had a tendency to want to quit or have quit. We, we all can be there, but we don't have to stay there. That's what the point is. We don't have to stay at the place of quitting. You embrace the extent of the struggle. You reset your trust in Jesus. And you ask 
folks who know how to pray in the name of Jesus to pray for you. And then where it is necessary, address the devil. In the name of Jesus, I resist you, lying spirit. I didn't scream and holler and stomp and spit like I do on Sunday mornings. That, that didn't happen on the sidewalk. It was a stage whisper. But I believe the Lord heard it. I believe darkness heard it. And I'm able to declare to you, it works. It works. Jesus has all authority. Claim his name. Lord, thank you for this time today. Lord, I pray. And I want to ask some of you who are, feel like this was specifically for you, I just want to ask you to get down on your knees wherever you are, at home, out by yourself under a tree, pull over if you're driving, if you would. Or those of you here in this room, I just want us to get on our knees, put our head on the pew in front of you. Lord Jesus, I need you to fill me. I need you to make your presence known to me. Lord, I need you to show me how and give me the strength to address the lies of the enemy coming against me. Folks, it's never going to be that there'll ever be a person completely without sin, without needing to be forgiven, that will be able to resist the enemy with success. We are sinners, washed in the blood of the Lamb, forgiven. We stand in the authority of Jesus, not in our own authority. And it is from that place that we speak. It is from that place that we receive what the Lord's heart would be. Lord, I ask you just to set captives free in the name of Jesus. I ask you to do your work of setting captives free. You said the truth will set you free. Pray, Lord, that these words of your truth will deeply and thoroughly and long-lastingly set captives free. In Jesus' name, would you say his name with me? Jesus. Would you say his name again? Jesus. Let's one more time. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Prayer partners, if you'll join us here at the front, we just want to pray for those of you who are here in the room who want to be prayed for and would wish to be prayed for. Those of you who are part of our streaming family, so many of you, bless you. Thank you for letting us hear from you. See how you bless us by sending your prayer requests because we're able to pray with you and we are, have the joy of that prayers being answered in your behalf too. Thank you for your financial support, your prayer support, just your loving support. Thank you. Thank you, Alamo City family, all over the place for how the Lord is using you and blessing through you in so many, many ways. Amen. Good group in the house today. God bless you. Thank you all for being here. Come this way if we can pray for you and pray with you. God bless you.